Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest uh, has been in touch with me for a very long time, and uh, it is a great pleasure to finally have you on the show. His name is Miguel Roja, the regional sales manager at Salesforce. Miguel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity, uh, Mike. I'm, I'm delighted to be here with you on the Scale Up Valley podcast. Uh, by a quick way of introduction, just allow me to share a, a, personal, a personal story. Let me tell you about my grandfather, uh, Mario. Now, uh, he helped raise me when I was young. We lived in the, in the neighborhood of Benfica, 15, hours away from the, 15 minutes away from the city center in, in Lisbon. He was a family man. He was a salesman. He owned a very small retail store where he sold cameras. Now, this was at the time people used cameras to actually take pictures, not, not the phone, right? <laughs> exactly. And um, during the summer... Difficult to imagine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As kids, we all, we all spend way too much time, you know, on our summer, on our summer holidays. My, my parents were working, they were busy. And I spent some time uh, watching him work, doing some work in his, in his small retail store. There's a, a day in which a lady enters the store barging in. This lady... We're going to call her Mrs. Janet, okay? She enters the store and she's frustrated. She's angry. And she says, Mr. Mario, I've, I've had people try to sell me cameras today, left, right, and center because of functionality X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it's not working. They're not giving me what I want. So I, I need your help. People, I, I was recommended to come here. You're the person in the neighborhood that is helping out other people. Uh, I need your help. And, you know, my grandfather, you know, with his great way of, understanding people. He sat her down, he invited the lady to a cup of tea. He wanted to know more. He made questions. What brings you to wanting to have a camera today? What should be the occasion coming up? Oh, is it a wedding? All right. And tell me more about the wedding. Oh, my, my daughter is getting married. I have two daughters. It's the last one getting married. And on the first time, when my first daughter got married, we did not take the perfect picture at sunset because you only had a couple of minutes and the camera took too long to set up. And I realized my father now, obviously at the time I was nine years old, I could not realize it, but today I do. He was accessing new levels of information to position the right type of camera. And when he concludes the, the sale and Mrs. Janet is happy and leaves the store, I look up to him and I say, Avo, uh, Grandpa, um, why spend so much time with a lady that was just looking for a camera? And my grandpa looks at me, you know, nine years old, He's probably, he's probably realizing that his, his grandson is a lot dumber than he should be. And he looks at me and he <laughs> taps me in the shoulder and he says, that lady wasn't looking for a camera, Miguel. That lady was looking to take the perfect picture to remember her daughter's wedding for the rest of her life. Wow. I was, I was only nine years old. I did not understand it at the time. But what this shows me today and what I share with, the, with my sales teams today when I share this story with them is, if it's important for the customer, it needs to be important for us. In fact, according to Harvard Business um, School, in a, in a study they've published in Harvard Business Review, yeah. the most important trait that B2B salespeople, sales customers are looking for from salespeople is to be listened to their needs. And I think this yeah. is really, really important. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And um, definitely this also this question about the benefits uh, versus the features and even more than the benefits, really adapting the benefits to what the customer is, is talking about. And, and sometimes there is 
something very simple, which is just to repeat what the customer is telling us and checking if we are understanding what the customer is trying to tell to us. And I think that sometimes even the, the client will correct us and help us out. Yes, you are right uh, in a very positive way, but I would add another layer. I would say also this, and that's amazing advice in terms of good communication and really putting ourselves in the shoes uh, of the customer. So kind of thinking that we are speaking different languages uh, and we need to ensure that they we are getting what they are saying uh, is, is a good way to start. And I love how you put that. It's, I gotta add to that, is, is, is yeah. so fascinating when you, when, you, when you understand that importance of repeating back to the customer what they said, because most people actually listen with the intent to respond not to the intent to understand. Exactly. And, and what, you, what you just shared there reminds me of a framework that, that we try to use, uh, which is the LVA framework, which is listen, <laughs> validate, and advise. There's no advice or validation unless you first start with really listening to what is being said. So that repetition, sometimes simply using the same words, if you put a hint of a question in the end, customer is gonna share more with you. So that's really, really re relevant. That's that's a, that's definitely um, a great point, and um, and it helps in any relationship, right? Uh, we will be discussing a lot about uh, leadership here, but uh, even doing the same with our teams, just repeating, let me let me see if I'm getting what you are telling me. So uh, this is kind of what you are saying that my performance is, looks like, and. The way that you are saying that I can help you out more is to, by doing this, this, and this. Is is this right? What I'm saying. So it's 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 incredible the the power of of communication, and especially in in scale ups and large organizations uh, like like Salesforce, um, cross functional communication, ensuring that everyone is on the same page is extremely uh, challenging. So if we would step back a bit and just repeat a little bit more to ensure that we understand what is being said and what is not being said sometimes. Good point. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. But definitely you, you shared an inspiration a little bit of why you do what you do today. Uh, and it would be great to get a little bit of your background and how do you join Salesforce and how has been your... Um, absolutely, absolutely. Of... So I've been at Salesforce for five years. Currently, I serve as a regional sales manager for the Iberia operating units. Uh, I specialize mainly on uh, startups and companies that are looking to grow. Also covered some verticals where it's particularly important to understand the needs of our customers in more detail. And obviously, you know, when you, when you verticalize, it means that you want to speak the language of that customer and truly understand what moves them. And, and some of those pains, like you were speaking about earlier today. Before that, I did startups. Uh, you know, I worked in, in companies where, you know, growing really, really fast at the time. One of them was UniPlaces. Another of them was, was Web Summit. Obviously, you know, that, that gave me a unique opportunity to understand the importance of, of, of scalability and multiplication and mobilizing people around the clarity of goals because, you know, if you want to grow fast, obviously that's something that is particularly important. And in terms of my background, one thing that I will share, though, that, is, that has opened my horizons quite a lot is the importance of, uh, of, of networking, right? I've, yeah. I've lived in Madrid. I've lived in Milan. Uh, obviously, you know, spent quite some time in, in Portugal. I do like to travel quite a lot. 
it's it's really important for me to to continuously look for the the, the opportunity of networking, which again is an example of how these this conversation, this podcast is has emerged today. Most people go about it in a way: Do I have to be promoting myself all the time? Do I this? Do I that? I I just look at it. What genuine connections can you build with like-minded people that potentially might have interests around your level of interests, and that you simply, uh, you know, it piques your curiosity to listen to the content that they publish. So I've mm-hmm. listened to some of your podcasts, and I think it just it just triggers me the interest of I'd love to have a conversation. Let me reach out because I really love to have a conversation. We speak to similar type of companies and we help them in um, in same stage of maturity, although we help them from very different perspectives, right? You with, yeah. with the coaching and the, and the scale-up exactly. methodology, myself, you know, with, with the CRM and empowering them to know more about their customer and to sell to them better. But in the end, it's, it's very interesting to think about the ideal customer profile and the affinity and the proximity that there is there. And I think that that's also an evolution of what you are saying is that we are getting better and better on relationship building on, on social media. Uh, and it's incredible how much we know about people nowadays that maybe we never had a call yet. And we've been commenting and seeing the posts and we kind of understand what the person is thinking about. Uh, and you can, con- you can keep the relationship almost by two years and speak again and immediately say, look, I know that you think about this, this and this in this way. Uh, you have been also following me that I that I think in, in that way. And, and, and we can almost have a conversation about that without having kind of meetings or coffees together. But it seems that we have been meeting uh, for a long time. It's, it's very interesting. It's, it's happened with us, for instance. Exactly. We didn't have a call for a while, but uh, we have been in touch for a very long time. And we have been interacting with each other on, on our thoughts on, on LinkedIn. And it's it's curious how synchronous communication is also happening uh, on on LinkedIn and, and other uh, social media platforms. Hundred percent, I I could not agree more. <laughs> and and uh, again, it it's, it really connects with your story and with the the skills that we need nowadays about listening and reading uh, what people are uh, talking about. And also that we we also need to listen and understand with the intent to serve, right? Um, and also to feel a common purpose. So of course, we have been following the comments of each other because there is something that we connect with. So the kind of topics, the purpose, the values of each other, there is something that sparks us something to keep following each other and to keep the conversation uh, going Sorry. on. And yeah. And then you get into the point that you want to keep serving each other. And it might not mean with a product or with a service, but if any time it comes, uh, it would be very easy because we know what it, each other does, the way we think, the way we communicate. We might be to a referral uh, to each other and, and we will do it without uh, any second intentions, which I think it's, it, it's, it's really um, amazing. But before moving into the next point, and I, I need to be quick <laughs> because I see that we can speak for uh, two or three hours here, uh, which is if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with, with that uh, younger self, let's not go into the story of your uh, grandfather, but at the time of the beginning of uh, that you joined Salesforce, what advice would you offer to your younger self? So I'd even go back, I'd even go a little back. I'd go into as far as the time I started selling. So the advice to my younger self, 
And if we would sit down for a cup of coffee, the first thing I would say, drop coffee, drink more tea. I drank way too much coffee when I was young. <laughs> that doesn't count. I'll call that advice number zero, but but I, I drank way too much coffee and that definitely didn't serve me. So today I'm more of a tea guy. So hopefully, hopefully that has been that has been helping me out just a little more. Um, I'd say advice number one. Um, no salesperson has ever listened their way out of a sale, right? You might talk your way out of a sale. So I'd say uh, with this, I simply mean a lesson that, that I learned from, from a sales coach that I've worked with for, for a couple of years now. And she told me this, it's so much more important in sales to be interested than interesting. And when I was young, I was foolish. I had just come out of university. And all I wanted to know is I researched the heck out of your company. I know more about your profile. I've called your contact center and seen how long they keep me waiting and if they're nice or not nice and this and that. <laughs> just, just ask smart questions and shut up. You know, if I, if I could go back, that's really the number one thing I would say, right? Love it. Number two, um, people really don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And this was particularly... Uh, I did, mm -hmm. I did a summer, I did a summer, I did a summer internship when I was, uh, when I was um, in Spain, in University Carlos III, we did an internship, and we did a very short term, four weeks, a consulting project into Real Madrid, and I walk in mm -hmm. there, and I'm like, Jesus, at the time, Mourinho was coaching there, Ronaldo was playing there, like all wow. the star players, and, and, and I start noticing there's some departments where people are like this all the time and people are like looking down and they don't seem to be very productive people. And I'm young and I'm like, Jesus, you work at Real Madrid. What else could you want more? <laughs> there's one time we're, we're at lunch and they would, they would help us out to the, to the, to the canteen. And I, and I would ask around like, what's going on? They leave all the money in the football pitch. They put all the money in the players because they just expect you to work here almost like if it was pro bono. So they had huge, uh, huge um, problems turnover. with retention, yeah. right? Turnover. Because people would go there one or two years and then they immediately go somewhere else because then they have the stamp that they've worked there. Now, what this, what this told me at the time is uh, I was looking into understand how much people knew about their operation because it's obviously a very successful football club. And from a management perspective, you know, the way they handle all their operations, ticket sales, sponsors, et cetera, was very, very smart. But... People would not care how much they actually knew until they knew that there was actually an, a superior entity caring for them and actually providing for them with, you know, fair compensation, all that model. So at the time, there was an eye opener for me, you know, sometimes the grass might look greener on the other side, might not exactly be the case. So, you know, do, do your research. Right. And the third one, uh, to keep this brief, the third one I have to say, be the most humble person and the hardest working person in the room. When I was young, again, probably quite foolish of me, I wanted to, you know, show up to the meetings like, you know, bang on, <laughs> sales power attitude, you know, Miguel to the power, you know, I would say those kind of, you know, uh, stupid things about myself and try to look good. Now, I just try to, I, I just try to ask smart questions. And the smarter the questions, the more I learn. And it's, 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 it's gone from a perspective of being right to getting it right, which is very different. If I need to be right, I will defend my perspective and I won't change my mind and I won't ask smart questions. I'll just be very good at argumenting, which again, my mother is a lawyer, so you can see my background. You know, I can defend my <laughs> point and, and live and breathe by that. But I've changed and I've tried to sort of evolve in a more sophisticated approach of, 
Let's try to get it right. What are the smart questions we need to be doing? What question are we not doing now that we should be asking ourselves now? And that's a great point there. It's, it's really another layer of um, maturity uh, and of leadership, which is sometimes even leading by letting the customer lead, uh, which is a, a special way of leadership, right? Is letting the other person lead. But at the end of the day, we are also leading by letting the other person lead. And that's why I love to say that uh, there is an art in, in leading and there is an art in being led. Uh, and we need both. Uh, that's not one or uh, another. So love it. And Good point. <laughs> I, I, I also we love the, the topic that we have discussed several times here in the, um, in the podcast, but I, I know that you have fresher insights, which is really this transition from a art performer where you have learned all of this selling and doing yourself the job. And now it's the time for you to transition to, to leading a team and the skills that you need in terms of being a top performer and being a, a top performer at leading teams uh, are completely different. How has been this transition to you? It's a great question, Mike. So I'll tell you this, as, as an individual contributor, and I've been an individual contributor for most of my, of my, of my professional career, right? It's only been 12 to 24 months that I'm, that I'm leading teams. So obviously that doesn't compensate for all the, let's say the eight years, nine years that I've been doing sales as an, as an IC, as an individual contributor. Now I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what uh, the biggest transition was. Number one, as an individual contributor, it was about all about the quantity and quality about my work, delivering the number, getting to that target on time and involving the, the mm -hmm. key stakeholders that I need to bring along with me. You know, that's maybe a pre-sales, a solution engineer. That's maybe having a great relationship with your SDR. So, you know, you, you maximize the pipeline that might be coming in. That's maybe working with your BDR so that you maximize outbound. That's, you know, obviously many things, reporting up the chain into your manager to help him look good on his forecast with, with accuracy and with, with precision. And, and when, you, when you think, you know, that what makes a successful IC, it's mainly two things, quantity and quality of the volume of the work that you're doing, right? right. Now, when you think of going into people management, and I think I, I learned this the hard way, right? I learned this the hard way, and I'll share a short story in a second. <laughs> but I learned this the hard way because when I, when I joined, the three best words of caution that I got from my mentors was number one, if you're expecting to make people in your team work like you, you're going to be in for one hell of a frustration. Love it. So don't try to make people look like you. They got to be the best they can be. And it's your job to get them from where they are to where they can be, right? Yeah. Not to make them as you are or to your image. That doesn't work, right? Yeah. Now, the second is if you catch people when they're doing it wrong, you don't create a culture of Good news fast, bad news faster. And this is one of the key pillars in my team. If there's nothing else, it's good news fast, bad news faster. So we can act upon changes that emerge on a deal and we can strategize on ways to try to make it turn around and, and for, for ways for us to, to you know, rescue the situation. So if I go like, I've been a very successful individual contributor for eight years. You do what I say <laughs> and you do what I do. That only gets people away from you. You need to create a trusted atmosphere. And, and this is great advice I got, which is someone comes to me with a question in my team. It's always the same. Before I offer you my perspective, Mike, how would you go about it? 
So mm-hmm. you instantly change the focus of it's not me leading the conversation, it's me leading the questions and you're in the driver's seat to, to have your own um, to have your own safe space to create options to explore. And if in the end I want to compliment, your perspective is very interesting in this and this, let me compliment with this. How does that inform our approach? If this doesn't work, what else can we try? So that was particularly, particularly important in the transition from IC to people management. And the third one, I think that the third one is so important. You always take a little bit more of the blame if the results of the team are not there and you take a little bit less of the credit. I'll give you an example. My team overperformed a couple of quarters in a row. For me, it was all about making the team feel great. We're doing this great and this great. You catch them when they're doing good, right? It's like that famous TED talk. You catch them when they're doing right. Now, when we did wrong, I said, want to raise the hands. We're doing this and this wrong. I'm the first one that is the main responsible because I'm responsible for the team and our performance. Collectively, we got to come together and fix this. And I highlighted two or three things that I wanted us to fix. And then I opened the floor for the team so that we could discuss other things that we could try to fix. And it's really, really important. Don't don't put the blame on other people. You're, You're the person in charge of the team. It's your own responsibility own up that responsibility and really be, be brave. And look, if it's, if you gotta, you know, take heat from the management team, it, it's happened to me in the past, you gotta own up to it and live up to the fact that you fell short of expectations. So, you know, you gotta go back to the drawing board and, and, and redesign your approach. That That's a good point. Uh, I always like a quote of, um, it's, it's common sense, but it's not common practice. I love always. that from Stephen Covey. Yeah, <laughs> common sense always, is not always common practice. I love that. It always follows me because, it, so you, you have just shared the simple principles of great leadership. Uh, and I, I would say that almost everyone that is really committed to, um, to know more about leadership knows this, but that what separates great leaders from average leaders is, is definitely the ones who are committed to act on what they know uh, instead of just um, saying what, what they know. So, and uh, definitely uh, what you have shared, some of, some of your stories, it's, it's really amazing, great points. And, and what did you say are the main muscles that... Uh, that you need to keep developing and that are serving you the most uh, leading uh, your teams? So yeah, according to, to a study that Gallup did on, on salespeople and their expectations from management, most things, most things fall around one main need, which is coaching. So that's a key pillar for me, right? I need to spend X amount of time on a monthly basis coaching the team because that's how you make them better. And, and in coaching, again, simple. Ask questions, shut up and listen. It's, it's, you know, I try to keep this as a, as a simple approach. I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, you know, giving people the formulas and stuff. You know, when people yeah. actually feel the smartest and they actually feel most accountable when they got to their own solution. So my job is only really to try, try to make <laughs> questions and then get out of my Great way, part. get out of my way. So I think coaching, you know, that vitamin C, you got to load up the, the, the team on that vitamin C, vitamin coaching. And then it's two main things, right? Recruiting and onboarding. And now, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged being, being in, in the company where I am, the, the unique opportunity that I have in terms of, you know, access to, to support in terms of recruiting, onboarding. And obviously, those processes are very, very well set up. So I have a unique opportunity and privilege there. What I would say to complement that, don't, don't rely on someone else to do your recruiting per se. Mm-hmm. Go, go on LinkedIn, actively look for top talents. 
reach out to people um make make ways to open a conversation i liked it i liked the the fact that you you just uh highlighted a story that you have from a customer and you published it on linkedin great way of going about customer success can we jump on the phone and speak for 10 minutes you might not be looking to be hired you might not be proactively looking for something but i'm looking to hire people in my team and that's the type of profile i'm looking for (laughs) and you know five people are going to say no Three people are going to say maybe, but I want to have those two conversations. You know, it's like everything. You want to get that conversion of those two conversations that might lead up to something. And, and the onboarding is so important. The, the onboarding is really clearly setting up expectations. And where I think is the real differentiator is in the shadowing. Are you giving sufficient opportunity for people to shadow, shadow their peers? Don't do it because I tell you to do it as a manager. Do it because you see top performer people in the team doing it and you feel, hmm, Interesting. There's John and Jane there who do this on all their calls. If I don't know better, I might as well just copy. So truly important: recruiting, onboarding, and the coaching. The coaching. That's definitely uh, three very important um, skills. And um, I wanted to say something, but I forget to be <laughs> real. <laughs> That's also a good way. And, uh, and but, but definitely I, I, what I wanted really to say is that um, a lot of the metrics that apply to sales apply to, or to external customers apply to internal customers. So it's, it's really important, like we see what are the customers that we are serving even better that are um, super happy to upsell and to want to involve themselves more with us. So what are the people in our teams that we are able to promote? Uh, what are the customers that are leaving and why they are leaving? What are our the talent or the team members that are not happy and that are leaving? What are the team members that uh, are not uh, are not performing? And we might need to have a special uh, kind of program to try to recover them and get into a better performance. Uh, if not, they might get demoted, as the same happens to customers. So I think that finally we got into a moment and it's really exciting uh, with all this stuff about the great resignation and, and so on that we are really looking to the two assets of the, of the, of the company in the same, with the same level of importance the people, the talent, and the customer. So, and uh, both are the customer today. And what you just shared, recruitment, um, onboarding, and coaching, we do for both. And that, that's, that's really, 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 really powerful. So, and I, I, I reminded myself what I, what I wanted to say. Good point. And let's go into uh, a great uh, important skill also to to comment which is the 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 team of the compensation so there are so many lessons learned here so many mistakes made Uh, i know that you have um, some interesting insights and thought-provoking insights here so what's your take in terms of my take my take into compensation right uh first of all incentives guide behavior and sometimes I, i work you know i work with customers who told us you know you guys obviously sell technology, you sell that wonderful platform, X, Y, and Z. Uh, can, you, can you share with us a little bit of what other companies that you might be speaking to might be doing regarding compensation? And, and I see things 
very quickly, two things that I see in the market that are clearly not working and that separates companies that we work with that, that are working quite well and others that are not. First, clearly understanding incentives guide behavior, right? You want your top performing salespeople to be accessing a level of income that the rest don't access simply because they contribute to the most important thing at, at, a, at a company that is growing, which is influencing revenue, right? Every department in the company is relevant. In sales, you need to influence revenue. And that's that's really the, the core component of the, right. role, of the role. So understanding that incentives guide behavior in a really materially relevant way and not being afraid to compensate your top performers the way they should. First, to ensure yeah. they're properly motivated and they stay. Second, to ensure that they understand because that top performance must have been at the expense of, you know, sacrifice, whether that comes, you know, professional sacrifice, studying, yeah. learning more about their craft, improving. Some of them might buy programs. So I have companies now who are allocating a learning and development budget, an education yeah. budget, and they're allocating this on a quarterly basis. So their salespeople can, can study, you know, a program, maybe that's a coaching program, maybe that's like a sales academy, maybe that's like a storytelling academy, but it makes them better on their crafts. And, and another thing that is particularly important, incentives that are aligned. Aligned incentives, I simply mean you're creating a biz dev department. Don't, don't just compensate them for the business that is closed because they got to generate pipeline first. And if the sales cycle is too long, they might not see the result immediately, which demotivates them. So find the right combination. Maybe that's quality and quantity of opportunities. Maybe that's yeah. pipeline that has gone to negotiation stage because they don't control what happens after that stage, right. if they generated up to that amount, I see really smart companies going with this approach now, which motivates people. And then you bring quality pipeline to your account executives. Those account executives act on that pipeline fast because they know that agility is critical and time to response is critical. As much, according to Forrester Research, as much as 70% of business might be won by the vendor who replies first and is the most agile to respond. So that's where I see incentives being geared up uh, the right way when companies do it right. So when they do it wrong, oh, they treat sales just like any other department, like, you know, service or they're taking your others. And then you don't get salespeople, you get service people. And, and it's not, it's not the right way to go about it. And, and hopefully this, this, you know, so, some of the founders, some of the scale up podcast listeners that might be hearing this, hopefully you won't be afraid of compensating the people according to the level that they perform and they produce. Yeah, and and for the scale ups out there, there is a, a great article by by Jason Lemkin uh, that that talks about uh, an interesting proof of the maturity or the scalability of your um, revenue model or your revenue machine, which is if your top performers don't have a supercar uh, at at the door of the of the office and uh, of of their homes something is not working on your uh, revenue model. I think it's fully connected with uh, what you just shared, Miguel. So it's a little bit weird, but we should, we should be super, super happy that uh, our top performers are winning top dollars. It means that our companies are having huge success and our people as well, and they deserve, right? So spot on. And and uh, even more, we want more of those people that are top performers that are winning top dollars because it means that the company is really scaling. Uh, so 
please don't be sad because you are paying top dollars to your top performers. The opposites apply. Be super happy and try to uh, multiply the number of top performers that, uh, that you have in the team. Of course, not forgetting, and we, we don't forget here, and we both believe in this, uh, the importance of culture and, and having team players and no assholes in, in the process. That's, that's not what we are uh, promoting here. Uh, Absolutely. The importance of a DFZ, a diva-free zone, you know, people that actually come together to, to help each other out. And again, if people in more junior join the team, they look at a top performer, I want to be like that. Maybe I'm going to buy them coffee or I'm, I'm going to invite them over for lunch so I learn a bit more of what differentiates their approach. And I can maybe try to replicate some of that. So it's, as you said, it's, it's, it generates positive culture when done the right way. Before wrapping up, uh, th th there is a, an interesting point that came to my mind when you were talking about the Real Madrid story, uh, which is I always listen to this about Mourinho is not paid to teach Ronaldo uh, how to score. Ronaldo knows much more about how to score than Mourinho. Uh, but in some of these roles, sometimes we need to, to have different approaches of leadership. Um, some of the coaches have been top players in the past. Some of them have been very bad players. Others have never been players uh, before. So, um, so in some cases, there is in some cases it makes sense to share our experience when we were players. And, and teach our players um, to get better at that. But in other cases, it doesn't make any sense to train them because they know more than us. And that's the way we should be. We need to be much more focused on the collective coaching or the team coaching, as I like to say, ensuring that they are all connected and they are all going into the same direction and that they have their clarity in the way that we plan to win the game. And they also understand what we will do if something doesn't work in, in the way uh, that we want to work. So we already have those contingency plans. Uh, if they score first instead of us, or if they are winning for 2-0 uh, and, and we need to recover the match. So what, what is your approach about combining this kind of the, the ones that you know that you can teach and that you see potential and the ones that you know they don't need me. They are better than me in terms of uh, individual contributors. It's It comes down to one question that I ask to, to anyone in my teams at the start of the year when we start working together, which is, what does support from me look like to you? Because some people, for them, support is knowing, if I need you, you're going to be there. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll contact you proactively. Others is, you, you check in with me because maybe they have less tenure, they need more support. You check in with me before a big call, before a big customer call, before that C-level call to check preparation. We do a dry run together. We ensure that we have no loose ends. It's, it's a different level of the, the more people get tenure and performance, the more they're going to value things like autonomy, like margin of maneuver. Yeah. Others, if they have less tenure and they are starting, they value spending one-to-one -one quality time coaching so that you almost dry run the entire situation and reproduce the environment where they're going to be so that they get there very, very well prepared. And you might even do a, you know, a post-call uh, review so that you align on things that were important. How did they see the situation? And there's one thing that I always do, which is someone comes to me asking for help. Again, I, I always ask, before I offer my perspective, what would you 
have to say, how would you go about fixing it or, or solving it? And I always say something, if after a while, because we all have the constraints of time, if after a while, let's say 20 minutes, the, the conversation has been productive, but not as productive as I feel it should. Okay, so let's do this. We close now. I'm going to help you out. Here's one thing that I ask you with one condition, and this is really, really important. The same mm -hmm. thing, you have an upfront contract with customers or some sort of mutual project plan. With one condition, I'm going to help you out. You're going to tell me why what, what I did worked, according to your opinion, because then you're putting people in the driver's seat of the training they just received, mm -hmm. and you're making them account next time. You were accountable for this. You came back to next time. You know how to do it yourself, right? Love it. Yeah. Amazing point. And uh, let's go into the last segment of, of the show where we have some quick questions. That's the first time that we will do this. And thank you so much for uh, innovating and for suggesting me to do this. Thank you, Miguel. And uh, so worst advice ever received. Worst advice I ever received. If you're really great at sales, you'll be able to sell to anyone. Best salespeople I've worked with, they have a relentless focus on identifying the ICP, the ideal customer profile. And if the customer is not ready, is not at a stage of maturity where it makes sense to work with them, to work towards a successful mutual project, they, they don't do it. They nurture that customer for sure. They might invite them to events or webinars to get some more education. They might even put them to speak with another customer they have because they, they have successful customers at, as their ultimate level of trust and currency. And they might do that, but they definitely don't start the sales process with them because they understand the buyer journey more than the sales journey. Just because you put that it's at negotiation stage in your CRM doesn't change anything if the customer is not at a stage of, they are top of the funnel. They're curious. They're exploring. Right. doesn't mean they are committed to evaluate, solve their concerns, and eventually buy and abandon the status quo. Love it. What, what are you reading these days? So these days I'm reading the trillion the trillion dollar coach. It's it. it's a book it's a book that I, that was recommended to me uh, by by another sales leader and I've I've been enjoying particularly the importance of asking smart questions and then allowing people to get to their own conclusions. It promotes autonomy, which is something that is particularly important in a rapidly changing world. If you're the bottleneck, you're you're not going to go very far. Your team's not going to go go very far. And I think I, I haven't finished the book. But so far, it's been quite an exciting read just because of those reasons. I love it. And I need to reread it uh, again. So the best books needs, definitely we need to read them again because we will see them in a, in a diff with a different lens uh, as we move forward in life. And finally, uh, what kind of what, what uh, series are you seeing that is inspiring you? Oh, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Series and TV shows that I've basically fallen in love with for me is two. The, 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 the first one, I believe we might have that in common is Suits. I love that TV show. It's on, yeah. it's on Netflix. And, and again, I, I don't love it for the, the reasons that maybe most people would do, uh, which is, you know, related to maybe Harvey Specter and how he dominates the game or Mike Cross and how he's gone up the ranks. I love it because of two main reasons. The importance of emotional intelligence personified by Donna and the way she's always able to reach a conclusion and, and, yeah. and get a positive outcome to a situation. And the counter example of Lewis Litz, he knows, think about it for a second, he knows so much technically, he's so good on the hard skills, but he always had problems with people because emotionally speaking, he was never able to, to find exactly. common ground 
to solve conflicts in a productive manner. And it just shows, you know, I, I have a bit of Lewis lift inside of me. I have maybe I've been an asshole. Maybe, you know, I've been a jerk. If, if I can mitigate that, if I can go around that and generally try to be a, a better person, um, obviously you might be able to, to afford some of the trouble that, that Lewis lift went through. And the other TV show that I just love because it inspires me in terms of the winning mentality and the, and the relentless focus of always improving is, is the last dance. I've, I've played basketball. Uh, obviously, you know, Michael Jordan. I wish I could say we had things in common. I don't think we do, but at least I try. <laughs> <laughs> at least I try. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the more I watch, the more, the more I'm a fan of, of all that winning mentality and the, the the real hard cost of, of winning of, and him trying to improve his team and trying to improve himself. It's, it's fascinating. Day in, day out, they would play sometimes every two days. And he would say, there's always a kid in the stands that watch me for the first time. And I love the way he went about it. I need to give these people my best because there's always someone in the stands who might be watching me for the first time. And he had that beginner's mindset that he was always looking to improve. It's, it's truly inspirational. Amazing. Miguel, we have made it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier, uh, scaling from 1 million to 1 billion. See you soon and keep scaling. <music>